Hey y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do wanna let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show is about commercial art, making a good living and making great art. It's a tough thing to do. It's a hard thing to balance. And we try to figure out the tips and tricks uh, of doing that. Let's jump in. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. So we're doing a series of podcasts, three of them in a row, 
The first one was how to find your creative gold. The second one, the one that we're doing today is about polishing your craft, how to take that creative gold and turn it into something worth buying. How do you refine that value that you found? How do you find, when you've found your talent, when you've found your place in the world, the thing that you should be doing, that's just the first step. That's just getting started. And so this episode, we're going to talk about how you take that thing and you refine it and you make it valuable to other people. These episodes, I have another episode um, in this series coming up, and that will happen in two weeks in our next monologue episode. These are based on my Creative Mornings talk. They're an expansion on the points from that talk. If you want to hear the talk, go to my site, andyj.pizza, and you can watch it. You can watch me uh, be a goofball over in Louisville. Uh, These are just an expansion upon those ideas because I couldn't really, I could only touch on these ideas and I really wanted to go deep. And this episode is going to get very deep. I've got a lot to say and uh, let's try to get to it. So in your creative career, the creative career race, I think that we often think that finding our talent, finding our value, finding where that value fits into the world, we think that that is the finish line when it's really the starting line. You know, I was thinking about it like uh, the land before time. If you're familiar with these movies, and when I say these movies, I mean like the 15 to 20 movies that they've done. I think there's land before time, 23, uh, attack of the great wildebeests or something like that. Uh, and in that, in the first one, in the original, which was definitely the best in my opinion, uh, <laughs> I love that we're, we're talking about the merit of the various land before times. That's a good place to start on the old podcast. Uh, <laughs> so the, the first movie, there's a point where they're looking for the great beyond. And that's where all the the plentiful tree stars, a.k.a. leaves, are for the, the, the leaf eaters. And I think there's a point where Littlefoot goes up onto this uh, mountaintop and he sees the great beyond is like right there. It's like, you know, very, very close from his point of view. But when he starts to go on the journey, he realizes that there's a vast expansion of you know, (laughs) terrible terrain that he's got to get to. So it seemed like it was right there and it was actually far, far away. And I think when you find your creative gold, when you find your talent, you find where it fits in the world, you feel like you've won the race when really the race has just begun. You feel like that talent gives you the backstage pass. It gives you uh, the badge. I got the talent badge. You go into the club and you go up to the VP, VIP and you're like, yo, I'm cool. Got the talent badge. No worries. Let me in. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. The talent badge lets you into the foyer. In order to get in the VIP, you got to have the mastery badge. And that's what we're talking about today. It's not enough to know what you're good at. That, that's just the raw material. That's just the basic seed that you're going to plant. The, the good stuff is refining 
that talent, is taking that talent and practicing, working, developing, understanding it, being able to deliver like a master. And that takes years and, and so much time and energy and process. But uh, I think if you're true to some of the things we talk about today, it will be in reach. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about. You know, I'm going to build this whole episode on George Washington Carver and why not, uh, the, a great, great man that brought us peanut butter. I'm a massive peanut butter fan. The only thing I'm not a fan of is how dense it is. So the calories per tablespoon are ridiculous. And as a calorie counter, I can't stand it. It's one of my favorite foods, so I only get to eat like a bite every few days, like one tablespoon, but I do. If I have some extra calories, I'll go there. Uh, but the, the reason it's so many calories is because it's packed with peanuts. I think there's like 500 peanuts in a jar of peanut butter. And, you know, I think there's enough creative peanuts out in the world. Okay, this raw talent. So this, this raw talent, it, it, it's plentiful. It's all over the place. That's, there's nothing special about that. And, uh, you know, George Washington Carver encouraged uh, the farmers to plant peanuts to give the soil a break from cotton. And what, we, what happened was we had this bountiful crop of peanut butter, or peanuts, rather. And, and we had so many peanuts, we didn't know what to do with it. And I think right now, it's like that. Like, we have a million people with these talents, these creative talents, and they're vying for attention, and it's getting noisier and noisier. But we don't need people with talent. Everybody's got talent. But not many people will develop that talent into a dense jar of commercial art peanut butter. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need to figure out how to break this thing down and just compact it and make this powerful punch <laughs> of creativity. So that's what we're gonna talk about today, taking that raw talent, those raw goods, those peanuts of talent and, and, and making, breaking them down and developing them and packaging them in a way where it's a dense, power punch of creativity with your commercial art peanut butter. That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, part of this episode was inspired by something I heard watching Comedians in Cars. One of the recent episodes is with Lorne Michaels, the, uh, the founder and, and director of Saturday Night Live. He's a com comedy legend um, for that reason. And he's actually famous for saying that, I think it was back in the 90s, that the alternative comic movement really doesn't matter. Uh, and I think, you know, he's really kind of frowned upon that he said this. And Jerry in Comedians in Cars asks him about it. Like, why did you say that about the alternative comic movement? And, and Lorne, you know, doesn't back down. And I love what he said. And it's, what, it's the heart of this episode, and it, and it stings even me, too. And he said that, you know, if you're a comedian, you can't hide behind art. And I think as creatives, we often want to hide behind subjectivity. We want to hide behind art. But if you're a commercial artist, if you want to make this your living, you have to be a pro. You have to be a master. You have to be able to deliver 
real value. If you're a comedian and you don't get laughs, you can't just call it art. Oh, I wasn't doing stand-up. It was a one-man show. Now listen, let's pause. I'm sure there are plenty of one-man, one-woman shows that are phenomenal, fantastic, but Lauren was talking about comedians that were hiding, hiding because they couldn't get laughs. And I have felt this way before. I remember being in this place of wanting to hide behind, well, you don't get it, uh, or uh, you know, it's subjective, or it's just too, it's above their heads, whatever you wanna say. But if you wanna be a pro, if you wanna get serious about your creative career, you have to learn how to make that power punch, that dense commercial art peanut butter, that thing that really delivers value in an obvious way, and you can't hide behind subjectivity. There's an objectivity to commercial art, to being able to deliver that real value, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. So number one, we have grind. You gotta grind the peanuts down. You gotta break them down and then build them back up. You gotta put them in the grinder. Uh, and so t this is about taking your market, your niche, whatever it is you think you wanna do for a living and, and breaking it down beyond just the exterior. You're not just a musician, you're not just an illustrator, you're not just a graphic designer, you're not just a brand strategist. Like those words, they get convoluted and they lose their meaning because we get too familiar with them. And so they don't have power. So we often forget what is it that I actually do what is my actual value? And I would actually, you know, if you haven't really done this, I would actually divorce yourself from any title. You know, for me personally, I was an illustrator when I found out my purpose was to be an illustrator. Uh, and you, you might have heard me talk about this before, but, but here's the idea. Uh, I, you know, for the past couple years, I wanted to dive really, really deep into this idea of what is my purpose? Like, what is it that I actually do? What's my value might be a better way of saying it. Like, what do I do that's, that's natural to me but supernatural to other people? What, what is the thing that people are paying me for? What are they trying to get from me in this transaction? And then what's the return on investment for somebody else? Like what can I do that will actually change someone else's business or life? Like what do I, what can I give? And, and, I had to, and I had to put away the idea of being a graphic designer. I had to put away the idea of being an illustrator. I had to put away all the terminology and break it down to the basic truth. Like what is it really? And if you haven't done this, like, it's an uncomfortable place to be. We often don't want to do it. Like we don't, it's scary to divorce yourself from your market or your industry or your niche or whatever. All these things, all this language that we've built up to, to, to you know, pad our, 
our pillows and help us sleep at night. Like it, there's security in hiding behind these titles. Now I believe in the power of words and the power of a good title, but I think it needs to be the right title and it, mean, it needs to be built on a truth that you understand and that you believe in. And so as I was going on this journey, I was trying to figure out what is it that I do? What, what really gives me joy? What makes me euphoric when I'm doing the process of the work? What, it, what do I do that someone else really gets something from it? And uh, it was a series of you know, breakthrough moments in my mind that led me to this idea that essentially what I like to do is take some abstract notion because I love the abstract, the esoteric, the, 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 the big fuzzy, big idea, big picture. Uh, that's what I like, that's what I deal in and, and I'm moved by it and I think those things are the most important things in the world. I think it's the invisible qualities of life that are actually the most important and what I like to do is make them visible. Paul Clay, who's probably my favorite fine artist, uh, said that art doesn't reproduce the visible, it makes visible. And that, that right there, I was like, oh man, this is it. And I actually found that quote way after the fact. The way I was defining it was giving form to the very important formless things. So I like to draw invisible things, which sounds like an oxymoron, but that's what I like to do. That's, I found that that moved me, that's what I did best, and when I did that, it really struck a chord with other people. And so I realized I do that with my speaking, that's why I love analogies, that's why I love metaphors. It's giving some container for you to, to, to fill this meaning into. It gives you something to, to grasp uh, John Acuff, the writer, says he gives ideas handles so you can hold them. And it's that idea. I loved that. I loved being in class, talking to my students, and, 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 and I had this truth, this concept, this thing that I wanted to transfer, that I wanted to communicate to them. And I would just talk around it until I found the right metaphor, the right way to articulate it, until you can hear those audible, oh, like I get it, like from multiple people. That, that noise, that moment where it's like, oh, that's my drug. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm addicted to. And so as I'm realizing like I wanna give form to formless things, I realize that that's called illustration. That's what illustration does. And I realized that only because I was thinking, man, I really love doing it with words, whatever this thing. I love giving form to these formless truths. I love doing it. I really love doing it with words and metaphors and analogies. And it wasn't until randomly I realized, oh, you know, these analogies, if you're talking, if you're doing a speech, you'd call them an illustration. Let me give you an illustration to explain what I mean. And I thought, oh, these things that I do with words are called illustrations. And then I realized, wait, that's what the actual pictures are. They're illustration. And so I figured out that my passion, my obsession, my purpose, my value as a creative person was actually 
already my job title, but I had to go grind it down to the bare bones so that it really meant something to me. And I think it's important that you don't grasp your title, you don't grasp the container that you're currently in. If you feel like you don't truly understand your value and your return on investment when you're with a client, if you don't get it yet, you're not sure what you actually do, divorce yourself from the title, go on that journey. It's a hard, grueling journey of like letting go, like Elsa time, right? And so that's the first step is like really just grinding down, figuring out you, like what's your part of the equation. Another thing that you want to do, and we talked about this a little bit in the the last episode, um, but the other thing you want to do is really understand, when you understand your value, then go understand people with the same value, the people's journeys that have done what you want to do, go obsessively read the biographies, read the interviews, understand the language, understand what it looked like for them to take that little nugget of talent, that little seed, that little resource. How did they take those peanuts and turn it into butter? How did they make a living off of it? And so study that, understand it, because it's going to tell you something about your journey and where where you need to take this. Now, The last part of number one, the grinding down to the basics, is about going into your industry and your market and understanding on a deep cellular level the fundamentals of that industry. So if it's illustration, understanding what makes a good illustration. If it's songwriting, like what are the what's the science to songwriting? Like Don't shy away from the fact that there's so many tricks and tips that you can dive into and learn from. You know, those are just the notes that you need to learn to create a song. All those little little things that say, hey, usually a good song does this. If you want this type of song, if you want to deliver this type of value, do this kind of thing. Like, but go study. Study the fundamentals, the bare bones, the basics of what makes this industry work. What what does a good song, what does that mean? Go study what other people have talked about it. You want to be so familiar with the fundamentals of your practice, the basics. So go read the books, go 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 listen to the interviews and understand that on the cellular basic level and be mastery, uh, you know, have mastery over those basic principles. All right, number two. So number one was grind it down to the basics. Number two is enhance it. Now, (laughs) let me just put a disclaimer here. I actually buy all natural, no additive peanut butter. Okay, but for the sake of the illustration, for the sake of this podcast, we're going to talk about it like you're making that terribly delicious 
<laughs> you know, mainstream corporate peanut butter, the kind where they add all the junk into it to make it taste extra special. Uh, <laughs> and here's the principle. Here's the principle behind this. We're not making the Whole Foods grind-it-yourself alternative peanut butter. Okay, even though I prefer that, you know, I don't need any tweets, you know, getting at me of why I shouldn't eat the, the GIFs and all that stuff. I don't, okay, but it doesn't mean I don't like it. Like, I do like that, that, that nasty, bad for you stuff that where you're taking all the goodness out of what peanut butter is supposed to be and making it into a dessert. Like, I like that, but here's the, my point my point is we're not making art for the galleries. If you're listening to this podcast and, and a big part of your journey is to make a living doing your creative work, then I think that you need to acknowledge that you need to play the game of being a pro. Okay? Like we're not making the 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 health food store peanut butter. We're trying to make something that's going to sell. Now, I'm not telling you you have to compromise your values, but I do think, you know, you get a lot of artists out there that complain, oh, nobody's buying my stuff. You know, the indie artists that, that can't sell. And it's like, yeah, but look at your stuff. It's not accessible to the masses. And so this point, this enhancing point, we're going to talk about how you take that raw material and you add the right ingredients to make it palatable to, a, to an audience, to the commercial world, because we're trying to make a living off of this thing. Unashamed, unashamed. A, add a little bit of salt. Add a little bit of salt. Take some of that bitterness away. Take it, make it so they want to come back for some more. And here's what I'm going to call adding salt. Work on the weaknesses of your strengths. Now, I'm a person that buys into this idea that you should focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. So you should be, don't try to develop your weaknesses because if you focus on what you're actually weak at, just on a basic level of, as a human, if you focus all of your energy on developing the creative things, the, the things that you don't actually have any talent in, the things that come extremely difficult to you, if you focus all your energy on that weakness, best case scenario, you're going to get average at it. Now, if you focus on those talent peanuts and you build on those things where you already have a supernatural inclination, you can take that to crazy levels. And Here's what I mean though. So, so again, it's not enough just to have that supernatural gifting, that little talent. Uh, that's not enough. That's not enough because you still have certain things about you, still underdeveloped strengths that are going to cause uh, that talent not to properly shine. You still have to get all the impurities off of that creative gold. You got to throw it in the fire. And that's what I'm talking about here. So you need, to, you need to develop the weaknesses of your strengths. So here's what I mean by that. So for me, I am obsessed with communicating and I love uh, doing talks and doing the podcast. 
And, you know, I kind of always knew that I liked to perform in this way. Like in high school, I would uh, do book oral book reports and get like A's on them, even though I'd never read the book, just by <laughs> making a lot of jokes and making it entertaining. Uh, the, the teachers would end up at least passing me on books that I'd never read. And, you know, that's not fair. And we could, <laughs> we could go into that. But, but, I kind of always knew I really liked doing presentations like that. If, if we're doing a group project and one of us have to present, I'll, I'm like, I'll present because I just know that that's something I like to do and it seems to go well. I've got a natural inclination there. And then when I got out of college, I had some opportunities to do some speaking and I had that confidence of like, oh, this is one of my things. And actually, I did several speaking engagements early on in my career, this is like eight years ago, that bombed. Now, luckily, I had an art wife. My wife, who uh, is really fantastic at giving me the true feedback, you know, no apologies. And she was at some of these talks and she was like, here's the thing, like, you got some laughs and and people enjoyed it, but nobody knew what you were talking about. You were all over the place. Like nobody, like you were making all these connections. Nobody knew, nobody could go with you on this journey. And I realized that I'm really good at thinking on my feet. I'm really good at um, being silly and, and performing. But what I'm not good at naturally, the weakness of this strength is that I don't think in a linear fashion and I go off on tangents. That's my ADHD. It's like what makes me good at coming up with connections, thinking on my feet is this ADHD thing of being able to, you know, go on all these different tangents, but it also causes me to be uh, not clear and hard to follow if I don't have an outline. And so I spent the past eight years, you know, I think a lot of people will listen to the podcast thinking that I'm just going on a giant rant and you're like, man, so many, like so much uh, stuff. You have so many interesting things to say about this topic. And it sounds like I'm just kind of doing a giant rant when in fact, I have done tons and tons of reading and developing and learning about public speaking learning about delivering a message, learning about how do you prepare an outline? Like what needs to, what are the components of a moving speech? And I've worked really, really hard to master the craft of this little tiny uh, inkling of a talent. And so I really encourage you to take that thing, that thing that you're naturally inclined to do and don't leave it there develop it, figure out where is it weak, where is it still not accessible, and dive in deep with the resources and the development. So that's A, that's the salt. Work on your, uh, this is the uh, the ABC within the one, two, three, okay? <laughs> uh, the ABC of enhancing your peanut butter. Um, (laughs) I love going down these like deep rabbit holes of analogies. B, add some sugar. Okay, now this point is just about wow factor and accessibility. We touched on this. I want to go a little bit deeper. I think that we think of our art 
like a brunch at the country club. And we're having a, a good old fashioned uh, political debate, just a, just a friendly jab at each other where each person speaks in turn, says their piece, and, and, and we move on to tea. That is not the commercial art world. The commercial art world is less like that, and it's more like a mosh pit. Okay, like it's it, it's not colonial time war where there's a real system to the lineup and there's a reloading process and both sides are playing by the same rule. It's guerrilla warfare. It's it, it isn't this thing where everybody gets to speak in turn. It's not this thing where everybody's going to get like, okay, let's see what this artist has to say. And everybody spends 15 minutes checking out what you do. That's not the way it works. And you have to add a little bit of sugar. You have to think about it like this thing has to jump up in the spot and grab some attention. It has to have that kind of spark. It's got to have something about it that makes other people stop on their Instagram feeds. There's got to be, there's got to be something there. You can't just hide behind subjectivity. And so, one thing that I encourage you with is to develop things in your practice that have clear X factor, that have clear wow factor. It might be techniques that you use, you know, things that you do that other people have said, oh, I love this thing. Like, how do you do that thing? It might be spending extra time on little elements to develop little delight moments. But you have to figure out things. If you're going to be a pro, you have to figure out what is my wow factor? What's my sugar? What's the thing that stops people in their tracks? It can be humor. It doesn't have to be uh, technique. It can be all kinds of things. It can be attention to detail. It can be precision. It can be, it can be a million things, but it's got to have some clear, clear X factor and that's the sugar because you're not going to get your just 15 minutes to do your little debate. Like people, people don't have to give you that time in this world. It's not the gallery. It's not where people stop at the painting and let's think about this piece. No, this is on Instagram. Like something has to grab them to gain any traction. And uh, so don't shy away. Like this is a pop song. So you can't just can't just do stuff because you know in the art world it's it's considered uh, um, respectable. Like if you're gonna be in the commercial art world, you're making pop music, and and I think embracing that uh, is a good is a good. Um, I, for me, one thing that's helped me is thinking of myself uh, in a different light from a different perspective. You know, thinking of who would I be as an artist if I was a musician and trying to find where I feel comfortable in that spectrum of art and commercial. So thinking about that's kind of where I'd want to position myself. I think uh, watching actors grow up and, and looking at the roles they, they pick, like someone like Nick Cage might be far on the commercial end where he seems to do a ton of movies just for money. He still does the art stuff and he still does some of that. So, um, you know, you've got that, but, but, but he does a lot of movies just for the money. I think he's even said that. Whereas the people I really loved growing up 
would only do a movie every few years and you really waited for them because you knew that they had all this integrity in the way that they chose things. And so for me, it's been helpful to think about in the music world, who, who might I be? Now, I look a little bit like the guy from Passion Pit. And I think even that <laughs> on the spectrum of commercial to art, that that might be a good place for me. Like it gets some radio play. It gets some love from, from the pop world, but it also has uh, decent reviews. And I like that. I think that that kind of fits me. So getting that kind of perspective might help. The last thing, the last thing we're going to throw in to enhance our creative uh, commercial art peanut butter is a stabilizer. This is like the oil, the thing that you add so that you don't have that natural having to stir it up and make a giant mess with your peanut butter. This is the thing, the stabilizer is the thing that keeps all the ingredients together and it's the thing that allows you to be to be ready whenever. This peanut butter is on the sidelines, ready to be thrown into the game anytime, any place, ready to go, no stir necessary. And <laughs> this, what I'm talking about here is practice. Like putting in the 10,000 hours. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but I want to take it a little bit further. This is about working out. Okay. It's, I've said this before. If you want to be an illustrator, but you're not willing to get in the sketchbook, that's kind of like wanting to be a bodybuilder, but, but not lifting any weights. So you got to spend time. And, it, and, and the, the interesting thing about that 10,000 hours rule is it's not about just practicing. It's about doing the right type of practicing. So as you learn, if you go back and you, and you learn, these are the fundamentals of my industry and then of my market and then of my niche. So if you're a lettering artist in poster design, having a very, very clear understanding of this is what makes good lettering. These are the principles. These are the practices. These are the techniques and then getting in and practicing them. It's like someone wanting to be a uh, a basketball player and only working out with like running and lifting weights. Like that's all they do for practice. No, if you want to be a basketball player, you need to work on your shot. You need to work on your free throw. You need to, you need to do all of the basketball drills. And so you need to be practicing, flexing that creative muscle in a very particular way. So for me, the way that this works is that I realize that this idea of bringing form to formless things, that that was, um, that came in handy when you were doing editorial illustration. So that was a good market for me. And then even in a niche, a good niche would be topics like science where it's really formless. And I thought, okay, so that's a good direction for me. I'm going to practice that type of illustration. And early on, that looked like writing my own articles on creativity, which is a real formless topic, and then doing editorial illustrations for them online. Now the way I've been flexing that muscle is every image that I make for the podcast I see as an editorial illustration. And that's a way for me to develop my chops. And I feel like since I started the podcast, I've gotten way better at it just by every week having to show up and flex that muscle. And that, that practice is my stabilizer so that when the big dream client calls, you're ready. 
That's what Draplin talks about. Like be ready when the dream client calls. And so if you, if you want to be a golfer, you're not just lifting, lifting, I don't know. <laughs> you're not just doing long walks like you would on the green. Like you're, you're doing the putt, the putt, putt. <laughs> you're doing the, I'm so, why do I always go to the sports metaphors? I, I don't know anything about sports, but I'm, I'm assuming that if you're going to be a golfer, you need to work on your short game. That's what they call it. And your long game. You need to be working with a coach. You need to be working with someone who can give you feedback it, so that you can do the exact right type of practice. And that's the stabilizer. So we had grind it down to the bare bones basics. That's number one. Number two, was enhance, add the good stuff into it. We're making business, we're not in the gallery. This is the the business arts podcast. Number three is package. You gotta package it up, make it look good. And this is about selling it and presentation. So I know a lot of artists aren't really stoked about the word selling or (laughs) stoked about the word marketing. And actually, I think these are false narratives that keep us from thriving. They keep us actually held down. These, these, these are limiting ideas that keep us from thriving financially because we, we feel like that's, there's something wrong about an artist thriving. That actually keeps, uh, keeps us down. And so I want to encourage you to embrace the idea of selling. And I have a few ideas uh, about, about how to do that and, and things that have helped me change my perspective on this topic. Um, a lot of it comes from Zig Ziglar. He was a uh, motivational speaker, um, but his niche was on selling. And he talked a lot about selling and the, the virtue of selling. And... I'm sold on selling. Uh, <laughs> and, and here's why. He said that everybody had that history teacher or that English teacher that really sold the subject to you. Like you didn't care about history until you met this teacher. And they, they didn't just teach you history. They sold you on the value, the importance of history. And you never, ever performed in that subject like you did for that teacher. So even if you're a teacher, selling is paramount to anybody. Anybody's doing anything. You've gotta learn how to sell it. And I think there's some fundamentals about learning how to do that. And I think there's some keys to that. We're gonna talk about it. Um, I want you to think about presentation as well. Okay, so presentation. There are plenty, plenty of uh, artists out there that if you took their art and you put it at, now listen here guys, I like a lot of simple things. I like conceptual things. This isn't a diss. I'm just trying to make a point. I hope it's not controversial. There are plenty of things out there in the commercial art world even that if you took this drawing and you threw it into 
and an elementary school art show, you might not skip a beat. Now, all right, there's probably plenty to it. There's probably all kinds of, uh, you know, and, and then again, there's probably art out there that maybe is kind of a hoax, but, um, <laughs> but there are things out there that with the right, with the wrong context, the value is really hard to see. Now, if you take that same thing and you put it in the MoMA, you put it on a white wall, you present it with, with mastery, and you present it in the best possible light in the right context, all of a sudden, the way it's perceived is dramatically changed. And so presentation is massive when it comes to selling yourself and it's part of developing it. Now you present your work when you meet people and you're talking about your work. So you have to understand the language behind it. You have to understand its real value. You also present it online with your website and your social media. All of that stuff goes into how people perceive your work. And so I think it's important to be really serious about the presentation of your work. And I think my biggest tip on sales, again, comes from Zig Ziglar. And this is a game changer. This is massive to me. This changed um, the way that I saw my creativity. He said that he was working with uh, a Tupperware salesman who was struggling to make ends meet. And the guy said, look, everybody has all these excuses of why they can't buy it. Like, I just cannot move this product. And Zig told him, have you bought a, one of your uh, sets of Tupperware? And the guy said, man, I told you, you know, we're struggling with money. Like, I can't afford these things. And Zig said, look, here's what you gotta do. Whatever you've gotta do to make it happen, to buy this set of Tupperware for yourself and then use it, you gotta do it. Figure it out and I will talk to you later. Now, if you buy this and it was a waste of your money, you have to quit selling this product. Now, he went on to buy it, buy the product and become fantastic at selling this product. And when Zig talked to him again, he said, I figured out how to buy it and it, and it changed my kitchen game. And I was so changed that I believed in the product that I was selling and that changed the game. You have to believe in the value of your creativity. And that's why this refining process is so paramount to success in the creative arts. You have to figure out, you have to, on a deep level, believe in the return on investment of what you do. And I think that the secret to really believing this is buying it yourself. And here's what I mean. So for me personally, this podcast has been uh, an example, and I've done a few others, an example of investing in my creativity, believing that that creativity was gonna have a return on investment. And so even with that editorial style illustration that I do for the podcast, that's been a big part of gaining traction online. Even, uh, you know, I put so much time and energy into the cover 
image of the podcast because I believed it was going to have a return on investment. I believed if I did my best and I really flexed my creative muscle on that podcast image that it would help it thrive. And, and I don't want to brag, but just as a case study, uh, Apple has ca- contacted me and we've signed an agreement to where they get to use my podcast image on their products, like in, in their presentations and in their social media and on their website. When they show iTunes, sometimes they show my podcast in iTunes because they only want to highlight the ones that they like to make their products look good. And that's just an example of how my illustration has had a return on investment for me. I invested in my own projects. I invested my own time and money behind my work because I wanted to see, like, does it actually work? Do these online images actually gain more attention than just a random body of text or a link to a podcast. And I really believe that they have. And that's helped me. When I get a client coming to me, I feel confident about the money that I'm charging because I know that it's worth it. And so what would it look like for you to understand the return on investment for your value and for you to be the first person who bets on it? What would that look like? It might look like, you know, a starting a range of T-shirts. It might look like, uh, you know, creating some some albums. It might look like all, all kinds of different things. Like use, figure out what the return on investment of your creativity is, and you be the person to take a risk and use it and see if it actually has a return on investment. And if it doesn't, then you got to figure out. You got to go back to the drawing board. Got to go back to your, your, your peanuts, your resource, your, your, your little inkling of a talent and think, how do I develop this thing into something that will have a return on, return on investment? Because if you want to be a creative for a living, that is the whole game. You can't hide behind subjectivity. Buy the Tupperware. Thinking as I was working on this podcast, I was thinking about uh, years ago, like soon after graduation, a lunch I had with my dad at our favorite pizza spot, and we we did that um, every few weeks, and we just kind of talked about. He kind of talks about what he's going through with his job, and I talk about um, my work, and we kind of just problem solve. We're very similar personalities. Uh, We always have a really good time. And I remember, um, you know, especially those early years, I was struggling so bad. I was trying to work it out. And I remember telling my dad something like, I just don't want to have to play to metrics. I just don't want to have to prove my value. I just want to make the stuff that I want to make. And I, and I, and I, I want it to have a kind of amorphous value. I don't really, I don't want it to have such obvious uh, return on investment. And I remember him like responding like, that doesn't sound like a good idea, son. <laughs> I don't remember what he actually said, but, but I remember him just being like, hmm, that doesn't seem good. That doesn't seem right. And, and looking back, I can see 
my heart. Now this might not be true for you, but I, I'm almost certain that it was true for me that I would been hurt by the struggle, hurt by um, you know the lack of returns in my career. And I wanted to hide behind, they just don't get it. I wanted to hide behind art. I wanted to hide behind, well, it's all subjective anyway. And the people that, that do well, it's they just are in the right place, the right time. And this podcast is the opposite of the right place at the right time. I often say that it's for the people in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's what it's about because I want to talk about creativity as a science. Now, now I believe that there's magic in it. I believe that there is magic and, and weirdness and serendipity uh, and lightning striking in creativity and that, that really great stuff happens that way. Christoph Neiman has a really good talk on 99U where he talks about uh, the goal of a commercial artist is to be able to, to deliver good work every time. And that's what I'm talking about. But he also says that that great stuff, that stuff that is supernatural, that you can't plan. That's something that only happens uh, every once in a while, every blue moon. Now, I would like to add to that, that the better you are at showing up and making good work, the more likely you're gonna catch that lightning. And so even more so should you be dedicated to developing this craft. Because even the boy who lived had to go to Hogwarts, right? <laughs> like even Harry needed to figure out how to take that natural freakish talent and he had to learn the basics. He had to develop it. He had to take it to the next level. And so you can't stop. You can tell how happy I am with that, throwing that Harry Potter reference in there like a, like a slick wizard. Um, <laughs> uh, but even, even Harry had to, had to go to Hogwarts, right? And so if you're in this place today where you're not sure what the return on investment of your creativity is. If you're not sure what the value of it is, if you, if you don't feel like you've mastered it, if you feel like you're not sure, if, you, if you're nervous that you can't deliver good stuff every time and then sometimes great, I encourage you, like all you need is a little tiny speck of a peanut of talent. All you need is just a little bit of something to build on. You know, I really believe that, uh, that creatives, we often, the people that are the masters, they make it look so easy and it's actually misleading because the amount of time and energy and development that it takes to, to get at that mastery level, it, it, it's so much of it is sweat and only a tiny, tiny piece of it is that talent. So, you know, do the hard work of finding where those little nuggets are, but don't stop there. That's the starting line. Go on this long journey, dedicate some time. I believe that if you give it a significant investment of two, three, five, ten, 
I could keep, I always want to take that and just keep running. 10, 20, 25, 85. No, (laughs) you give it two years. If you give it three years, if you do the right kinds of practice, if if you're desperate for feedback, if you really study this thing, I believe that if you give it that, you will have a significant payoff. So be encouraged by all this stuff uh, and, and really believe that you can take it somewhere interesting. Okay, that is episode 98. We're almost to 100. This has been such a good journey. Thank you for coming on it with me. Creative pepperonis. I don't, I know, you know, I don't like saying that. Anyway, hey, don't forget to check out that class if that's something that you think might be good for you. It's at creativepeptalk.com slash MFBA. Go check it out, and you can apply there. Uh, looking forward to seeing these and seeing who uh, who signs up. All right. And there's also a lot more details there. Uh, so go check that out. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks to our syndicate, Illustration Age. You can find this show at illustrationage.com slash Talk. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and his band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and his band Metavari. For all the other tunes, you can find their stuff at soundcloud.com slash metavari. Also, we have some tunes from JRO Design. You can check that out at jrodesign.com. Thank you for that sweet music. Oh, yeah, and uh, don't forget to do whatever it takes to stay pepped up. See you guys all very soon. <laughs> <laughs>